ripe or not, here I come, Quat. This week, we've got a whole slew of items that Council has to deal with, but they really don't want to. The Mayfair issue will be coming back, downtown towers continue to vex Council, and of course, water fluoridation. Thanks, Calgary. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 27. This week, it's going to be all about city council and dealing with issues that they're not really ready for prime time. They don't have the political cover councillors would want, but doggone it, they're going to have to deal with them anyway. But to start us off, it's the rapid fire segment. An Edmonton Journal column this week opined that Edmonton Transit's policy of ignoring fare evasion isn't making a safer space, it's making a lawless one. Various potential solutions are floated, including references to Councillor Paquette's motion to reevaluate transit pricing, but they critically miss the most obvious one. We've already made a lawless space this year when marijuana was legalized, and society as we knew it crumbled into chaos and anarchy. We just need to get some of the police officers enforcing cannabis out of the hot boxes and onto the buses. Though, as many city bureaucrats living in St. Albert can attest, getting Edmontonians in position of power to ride the bus is a nigh-impossible task. Out of the hot boxes, onto the buses. I like that. The Grote Road Bridge was completely closed to vehicles and pedestrians during rush hour on Wednesday due to a wheel derailment on a crane. While the road reopened to traffic Thursday, Edmonton collectively held its breath Wednesday night, knocking on wood, throwing salt over their shoulders, and burning Metroline tickets as they all collectively prayed that Graham Construction didn't bend another girder on Grote Road. When asked for comment, Don Iveson could be heard fervently murmuring, On time, on budget. 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 Edmonton updated their zoning rules this week to pave the way for pot stores in West Edmonton Mall, where Aurora Cannabis plans to open a store. Councillor Mike Nickel raised concerns, questioning how the mall will ensure minors stay out of the pot store. Nickel, being like 90 or whatever, doesn't seem to understand that West Edmonton Mall is currently one giant pot store for teens. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. This week, we're going to tell you once again about the Well Endowed Podcast, which is a production of the Edmonton Community Foundation. It is hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden. And the podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Community Foundation, of course, helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how these endowments intersect with the community. New episodes come out a couple of times a month, and you can read the show notes and find out all about the podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. We're going to start off the episode with another one of them there, Retractions, sort of. Eh, More like a minor minor update. So we reported on Rocco Katarina, Tony Katarina's son, being the EA for Councillor Katarina and his salary numbers. Now, these salary numbers were based off CBC reporting, which basically said, The disclosure said it was $128,000 that was on his disclosure and that Rocco Katarina is Tony Katarina's only staff member. Right. Both of which are true facts. Right. Uh, The connected dots is that the 128K was for 2018. And in 2018, there were periods of maybe a couple months. I haven't been able to get a clear sense where Tony Katarina also had a research assistant who happened to be Brian Anderson's daughter. Uh, So... Familial connections there. Small world or, yeah, some other sort of connection. Small world or nepotistic world. (laughs) Um, So that's a bundle of fish. What we know is that in 2018, Rocco Katarina did not make $128,000. How much less, we're unsure about. And uh, 
Counselor Katerina, if you want to reach out for comment, we would happily encourage that. I want to mention, not on the retraction, but on the topic, because I got a lot of comments and responses in the past week where people were like, yeah, Troy, I agree with you. That nepotism is really horrible. Right. And there's nothing worse than having someone you disagree with insist that they agree with you. I don't see any problem with Tony Katarina hiring his son. Zero issues with his son working as his executive assistant. The problem for me was just the money. It was, it seemed to me that it was just his son lost. So he was throwing him the same did you have a problem with that? No, I, I mean, if uh, you're related to them and they're working for you, that's not all that uncommon, is it? I mean, there's tons of businesses like that. Um, I agree with you. It's it's really more about how much are we spending on it and is he actually doing $120,000 worth of work or is it a, a more friendly connection than that, right? Um, but in terms of like, there's no rules against that, right? There's no rule against having uh, somebody who's a member of his family working on his staff. I don't think that's an issue. Yeah. And on the pay scales, there is actually a recommended pay scale for an executive assistant. I heard that from various counselors. I didn't get a copy of the actual pay scales, but I hear it caps out at around $80,000. So an executive assistant can expect to be paid at most around $80,000 if the counselor follows the recommended guidelines. Right. The other thing I'll mention is just that this It's a political appointment. That is fundamentally what this office staff is. Typically, your campaign manager becomes your EA when you become a counselor. It's equivalent to a chief of staff, I guess, in other U.S. political circles. I mean, technically, he is actually a City of Edmonton employee. Sure. That's how they operationalize this and get council staff to be paid and all of those kinds of things. But they're treated separately from every other city of Edmonton employee. And this actually came up at council a few weeks ago at council services. And they had a discussion about an HR policy and how they might deal with this issue. Should they create a whole new class of employees? Should um, counselors be more directly responsible for managing those HR aspects of the job or should that still fall to the city administration? So The answer is yes. Yes, they should. Uh, But... We're getting a little off track. We've got a lot to cover, uh, but speaking municipally doesn't always get things 100% right. But every time we've gotten it wrong, it's because other journalists... Neither does CBC, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Moving on, um, affordable housing came on the menu this week, which, shocking, it's never done before. Uh, But the Edmonton mayor, Don Iveson, asked the province in Ottawa for $1.1 billion for funding. Yeah, so he got up and basically said... You know, we need to invest in affordable housing. Housing pays for itself, he said. He suggested every billion dollars invested in housing will grow Canada's economy by $1.4 billion. And the $1.1 that he's asking for would be used to build 5,000 new affordable housing units um, here in the city, which would include just over 3,600 apartments, just under 1,000 supportive housing suites, um, 180 secondary suites, and just over 230 seniors' apartments. So, you know, this is uh, all stuff that is important that council has already indicated it wants to see built in the city. Um, The CEO of Capital Region Housing said there's about 6,000 families on their waiting list. Um, There's this thing called the Edmonton Nonprofit Housing Provider Working Group, um, which is described as a self-organized group of affordable housing providers. They say, you know, nearly 50,000 households are in what they call housing need, which means at least 30% of their income is spent on maintaining adequate housing. So there's clearly a need to build more affordable housing in the city. And this is basically the mayor getting up and saying, we've already approved at council 
a strategy around this and a little bit of funding for it. And now I'm going to make that case more publicly to the province and the feds. Yeah. And it's great that these projects, they're shovel ready. So as soon as we get money, they can go. But Edmonton mayor asks province and feds for money for affordable housing. Not an original story. Not, uh, not really. We've heard this before. Just two quick updates for you uh, or connections, I guess. So it was in the summer. You'll recall council approved a framework for affordable housing targeting 16% in each neighborhood. The other update was during the budget, which we talked a lot about, they approved $140 million for these developments. I wonder, and this might be an aside, but we calculate housing need by this 30% number. You don't want to spend more than 30% of your salary on housing requirements. And this has existed since I was a little kid. Right. I do wonder whether this number might be the problem, the 30% number, because I know I pay more than 30% on my house and I don't consider myself to be in dire housing need. Right. Uh, And if you look at the graphs, you look at inflation, you look at wage growth and you look at cost of housing increases, one significantly outpaces all the others and that's housing prices. So I wonder if this is just the new normal where you need to adjust your budgetary spending and housing now costs more than 30% of your income. It's one of those situations where a one size fits all number really doesn't fit all situations. But we'll move on and we'll move on to south of our city to Calgary. Now, if you'll recall, if you listened to the Jeopardy episode, uh, none of our esteemed panelists (laughs) knew that Calgary removed fluoride from their water in 2011, but they did. Right. And that's coming back to bite them in the butt a little bit. So they removed it in 2011 after voting in two plebiscites prior to that to have fluoridation or keep it in the water, I suppose. Um, But yeah, now the councillors put forward a motion that I think was um, 13 to 2, right? 12 to 2. It was a significant margin anyway uh, to study the effects of removing fluoride from the water. So since 2011, what has the impact been on health? If you watched last week tonight, John Oliver's very good show, it was about measles in the past week and the anti-vaxxer movement. And he said very poignantly that he wasn't there to relitigate whether vaccinations work. Just like I'm not here to litigate (laughs) whether fluoride works. It does. Right. Full stop. There's science. And we don't want to talk too much about Calgary, but what Calgary is doing is what Edmonton does all the time. And it doesn't make any sense at all. It's Calgary is going to do a study to determine whether... They made a mistake by removing fluoride in 2011. Well, they did. We already know that. Cavities in children have increased because all the science in the world before that said fluoride reduces cavities in children. And go figure, you remove the fluoride and cavities skyrocketed compared to Edmonton. The thing about fluoride where the science is less clear is whether... It has benefit in adult or whether there's some long-term adverse effects where all the studies say no, there's no long-term health effects, but the studies aren't as rigorous as they could be. So if the bar that Calgary is hitting here is the existing scientific studies are not as rigorous as they could be, does Calgary City Council propose that they're going to do a double-blind research trial? Peer-reviewed. Yeah, and submit yeah. it to academic papers. Is that the role of a city? I mean, we use the word study, but it's not really what we mean in the world of science, right? All they're really going to do probably is ask for some input from some experts and do some literature review, which, as you say, could have been done before they made this decision in 2011. Let me um, recommend a site to you Calgary City Administration. It's called google.com. The first result will be Wikipedia and it will tell you the science is unambiguous. Just do it. 
to put it in an Edmonton context, we do the exact same thing. When we were talking about installing bike lanes in Edmonton, we're mm-hmm. like, well, we need to do a pilot project. We need to study how this works. Or if we're installing sidewalks or if we're doing our Vision Zero program, we need to think, well, how does this work in Edmonton? No, the science is clear. Edmonton is not special. We're not a snowflake. We're not immune to science. Teeth in Edmonton and Calgary are the same. Uh, one other angle on this, though, that is potentially interesting at least they voted to get some information, which council here hasn't always done. <laughs> that is true. Um, our council likes to hide from information um, because information can cause them to make decisions. Moving on, Edmonton, uh, downtown, there's always been a sort of feeling that downtown was less safe. It's You go on a forum and people will say that. Whether it's true or not, that's... Right always been a matter of debate but there's always been this sort of lingering sense that you know you're less safe downtown so bring a buddy a report this week came out and said well yeah that is true this is how people understand our downtown right the downtown business association held a security and safety forum i think they called it back in november they had 60 people participate and the report is basically summarizing you know, what they heard about, about downtown. And, um, you know, the report said that it's a diverse community. There's business owners and residents and also people who sleep rough or lack permanent shelter. You know, the report says interactions between those groups are often caring and cordial, but in isolated cases can create feelings of insecurity. And then they do mention construction and the temporary closing of facilities and things like that, that have maybe created this perception that, um, there's more panhandling perhaps, or there's more unsavory people, or there's more of these unsafe incidents. I'm not sure that's true. Um, I've lived downtown for a long time now, and I've worked downtown even longer. And, uh, and I recognize there's a difference in people's mind between downtown, which is like the proper neighborhood and the like central area that includes Boyle Street and Macaulay and a bunch of other neighborhoods. But I've never found it that unsafe, to be honest with you, especially compared to traveling to some other places. Like, it's really not all that bad. I mean, also in the last few weeks when this report came out, like it's been freaking cold. There hasn't been people outside. <laughs> the one thing that I will mention is I do empathize with the experience. And I think a lot of it has to do with how unwelcoming our downtown is. So we've got, consider you're at the top of Bellamy Hill, the one by that TELUS stop. I don't know the hill names in Edmonton, but you're on Jasper Ave. You're right the core of downtown across from Ruth's Chris. You've got this huge seven lane Jasper Ave. Right. You've got the four lanes going up the hill to the CN Tower. Yep. And there's no street level businesses. It's just you have yeah. sheer walls. And if you see a panhandler there, it's going to feel like there's 50 panhandlers there because just the environment itself is so inhospitable and that's the only human connection you have. And I think where you have other cities where panhandling, homelessness are significantly larger problems than they are in Edmonton, you have also an increased street life that makes the city feel more vibrant. Whereas in Edmonton, you don't have the vibrancy, so you just get the lingering feelings of... Yeah, I absolutely agree about the vibrancy angle. I'm often um, reminded when I travel somewhere else and stay in a central area how dead Edmonton's central area is because, it, you know, on a regular day-to-day basis, oh, it feels busy. There's people going places and doing things. And then you come back from a larger city and it's just not even in comparison, right? So I, I do see that point. But, you know, what I run into on a day-to-day basis downtown is trucks almost running me over. Um, the LRT entrances smelling like urine, 
Uh, people that don't shovel the sidewalks around their buildings, roads closed for construction, sidewalks closed for con- like these are the actual problems downtown. And I I find it hard to empathize with some of the folks I think that are going to pick up this report and run with this idea because what they do is they go from their house to their garage to their car and their car to the parkade and the parkade to their office. And so like, sure, you get outside and you see a person and all of a sudden you're afraid because you've been in your iron cage for the whole morning. Right. So anyway, that's my little rant about safety downtown. Tell us how you really feel, Mac. (laughs) It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, sidewalk closures and lack of shoveling. Uh, You know, a lot of those issues you mentioned, fall squarely on the city of Edmonton. They do. It's just the city of Edmonton who could just do better and make our downtown safer and more vibrant. Because like you said, if you're going to get hurt downtown, it's going to be hit by a vehicle. Yeah. And imagine Jasper was supposed to fix this. And yet we've rolled back some of these changes because specifically some of the people that might empathize with these support, they want to beep, beep, go fast through the downtown core can't deal with a 30 second delay uh speaking of the downtown core though uh we want to build it up and make it more vibrant and the surefire way to do that is super tower projects right well they have some prestige with them don't they everybody likes a really tall tower it makes for a great rendering and when you can say oh yes we have this brand new downtown tower it's really tall look how it's changing our skyline people love that and since we got rid of the municipal airport overlay we've seen a number of large towers go up downtown. Um, But there's a problem with downtown towers being super tall, and that's that they take one little lot and then leave a whole bunch of other lots around them potentially undeveloped. So Councillor McKean this week um, said he's going to bring a motion forward to investigate this basically and kind of ask the question, how many towers is too many? So in the theme of this week of, you know, inching forward and just kind of little, very tiny updates. Um, you know, this is one that I know some of the, the planners at the city of Edmonton have been thinking about for a number of years. And I wrote about this more than three years ago, actually, um, this idea that, you know, would you rather have one sixty story tower or three twenty story towers? Because if you have the multiple towers, you know, not having parking lots left over, you know, the, the way the land is valued is different and you don't get the prestige and maybe the developer has a little bit more financial risk, but, it's a question about what kind of central downtown area we'd like to have. And I'd argue that you might even get the prestige because you go to an interesting city and like we said, there's vibrant street life. Yeah. And if you have one downtown tower and three gravel parking lots before the next store, that's not going to have that prestige vibrancy feel of like a world class city. I heavily air quoted that. Yeah, sure. This is all going back to the whole discussion. Even we looked at Iveson's campaign promises. Infill was all about the missing middle. Right. And we usually talk about that in context of the mature neighborhood overlay and replacing single family homes with row housing. But missing middle absolutely applies to downtown. You go to a downtown European city in Belgium or France and you have four story brownstone housing. Right. Basically lining the entirety of downtown streets. And that sort of gentle density, we don't see a lot of in Edmonton. And we're not going to see a lot of downtown when we continually approve mega towers because it just isn't economical to do so. Right. And we could have just as many people living downtown and have fewer parking lots. And and as you say, more vibrancy, more opportunity for businesses and things like that to be successful. Um, It doesn't all have to be in all our eggs in one basket, so to speak. And you've historically been very down on the land speculators and having very little empathy for them. But that's another huge aspect of this. When right. we, Because when we approve these mega projects, they're not zoned 
for mega towers. Council has to specifically upzone that plot of land. Right. So now, because we've been so generous with upzoning, it is culturally understood that any plot of land in downtown can be an 80-story tower, which instantly inflates the value of all of these lands. Right. And you get a lot of land speculators buying it up, not selling them for, you know, the rates that would be economical to build missing middle housing. And the cycle continues because we've got this speculation tax built in. And we've got no stick to hit them with uh, on the other end, right? There's no rules that they keep the land in a certain state of repair or that the parking lots are paved or that they're landscaped or anything. Or that the parking lots are legal. Uh, and yeah, and that's a blight of illegal parking <laughs> lots. We'll jump a bit further on and go back to our slow burn segment. We've got a couple updates of things that just might have forgotten about so this one's not a big update but i feel like when this report finally hits there's going to be some interesting newsworthy stuff in there so uh this report called further options for reducing tax levy uh was supposed to come to can council i just this week. stop you there yes uh, can you define the word tax levy for me <laughs> email counselor banga i'm sure he can tell you all about it that's a callback guys <laughs> uh further options for reducing tax levy it was supposed to come up this week they proposed postponed it until march 12th so we'll wait on that one um the fact that they haven't published the report yet for the item and then postponed it at, at the council meeting is interesting to me and is sort of increasing the uh feeling i have that there's going to be some goods in there Ooh. it'll probably be really boring mysterious uh the other item and if you'll recall a previous episode we had michael jans talking about the friends of the river valley uh, edmonton man yeah edmonton man <laughs> the royal mayfair uh they're requesting an 18 year extension to the current lease it's set to expire in 2051 that report is coming to committee on monday um so if you want to go yell at city councils monday's the day to do it we got a bit of details the, basically the uh new lease terms would require them to pay a total of eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars for an 18-year lease this equates to about forty eight thousand dollars per year and interestingly it's all paid up front so we don't have the lease agreement at all and that's a big criticism and they haven't they've refused to release the the lease agreement sure right? yep and the fact that we're requiring Mayfair to pay all the money up front makes me leery that there's no out for the city in that lease agreement because right. you don't collect upfront payment. It's it's not like we think the Mayfair isn't good for $48,000 a year. That's a membership in some pocket change. And you saw Councillor Henderson comment on this issue. Yeah. So just before we recorded, uh, we're recording on Thursday, the journal put up an article in which Ben Henderson commented. And this really took me aback because Ben Henderson said some truly baffling things. Um, one of the quotes he said, he said, quote, we have to recognize that the Mayfair began its significant investment in building up its assets well before there was any other interest in the River Valley. And, quote, I don't know what would happen at the end of a lease. Clearly, no one, I think, would be crazy enough to suggest you should be digging up a fairly significant asset. And... This evoked some memories of last year in ancient history where there was a Mill Creek house. An owner owned some property in the Mill Creek Ravine and he decided he wanted to put up a mansion there and whole community was up in arms about we should not be developing our river valley like this. And after the dust settled and the house got built, Ben Henderson came out and said, you know, we should have taken our opportunity to buy this land back. Our river valley is too precious to be sold to private developers like this right. and we made a mistake. And then he's advocating, hey, 
we have a chance to fix this, not tomorrow, in 2051. Right. But instead, I'm going to tack on an additional 18 years because, well, it's always been this way. And what are we going to do? Dig up a golf course? It's it's absurd. And this is a problem you've seen before with city council. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so many of the decisions that get made are sort of tied to this notion that a previous decision was either made or or not made and things just happened and we can't go back. We can't change it. And that just sounds crazy to me. Just because we zoned something one way doesn't mean we can't change it another way. Just because a previous council made one decision doesn't mean that the council of the day can't decide that the city's gone in a different direction. So it's absurd to me that he would suggest we can't change this just because it's been a golf course for a long time. Also will be a golf course for a long time. Yeah. A reference... We're talking about the current lease is good till 2051. It's 30 years from now. So what Henderson is saying is we can't dig up a golf course in 30 years because, oh my, what would we even do with the land? We have 30 (laughs) years to figure that out. Remember 30 years ago, the Hende was a mere twinkle in a young Brian Mason's eye. It didn't exist yet. 30 years is a long time. And to say that we cannot plan to use pristine River Valley space in a city that wants to densify 30 years from now shows that he's so blatantly out of touch and unwilling to plan for the future of Edmonton that maybe it is time that Jason Kenney passes some recall legislation. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Ben Henderson is getting his licks this week on Speaking Municipally. He is. There was some tongue-in-cheek there, but the point still stands is we're talking about something that's the size of Horlock Park. We know that Heritage Days are like second to maybe fringe are like world-renowned right. festival. Right. It's running out of space in its current Horlock Park venue. And we were talking about moving it around. And we said, well, where else are we going to put it? If you double the size of Horlock Park, which, you know, 30 years from now, Heritage Days will probably need, other festivals will probably need, that's a real legitimate option. A lot of people are saying... Why does this matter? Like, Horlack Park is fine. It's not packed. In 30 years, Edmonton will have nearly double the population. If you're talking about it's not packed now, well, on a sunny day, it is packed. How crowded is it going to be when Edmonton has 2 million people? This is what's at stake here, and council's really missing the boat. And it's 30 years. Like, why do they have to extend it now? Like, let's have this conversation 30 years from now. The argument that will be made is, you know, the Mayfair needs certainty to increase right. the development. Um, 30 years of certainty is a long time. And 30 <laughs> years of certainty for rich people. Right. They're saying they need the lender to, they need the certainty so that the lender gives them. They have money. Yeah. This is 475 rich people. Um, let's close it out with, you had mentioned before that, you know, we always have these topics, but there's no segment for just me to, complain about stuff (laughs) and i want to add a new segment mac rants and allow you to rant about some stuff yeah and we've talked about this on the show a little bit before too right that um administration seems to have lost the plot and council doesn't seem to have control over what's happening and i just have found it interesting the last couple of weeks that there's been you know a number of conversations i've had with people not directly about city administration but it always seems to come up and it always seems to be in a negative way and i sometimes find myself in the interesting position of on the one hand trying to defend administration and say you know there's good people here i don't think they're doing anything malicious i don't think they're really trying to make your life miserable or anything like that but there are clearly 
cultural issues that are holding things back. So maybe for this week, the thing I can rant about is the number one thing I hear from people who work at the city, which is that they're constantly reorganizing and they never know where they are and they never know what they're doing and they never know what department they're in. And, and that just slows things down. And we, we get into this culture of there's no accountability and they don't have the ability to move things forward because they're not really sure where the lines are drawn that day. It's a huge challenge and I hear it a lot and I'm not the only one, which I think is kind of interesting that, you know, other people are picking up on it and maybe they don't follow council as closely as you and I do, but they still have picked up on this idea that uh, administration uh, has some major, major challenges and some good people are leaving and some good people that are there are not able to make the kind of impact that we'd like them to have on our city. And that's an ongoing problem. And I think it's really interesting. It happened to me this week. I was on Reddit because I'm Troy. I'm always on Reddit. There was the quintessential post of we were complaining about the boneheads running this city. Yeah. And everyone was piling on. Yeah. Recall Iverson and the various smattering of hating on city council that you typically expect. Yeah. And then one commenter came in and I didn't recognize him. And he just said, you know, in Edmonton, really, the problem is our administration. And the fact that just a quote unquote commoner came up with that, like, most people don't understand the difference between a council and an sure. administration. The fact that it's working its way into the common public vernacular that Edmonton has an administration and the administration is bad should be setting up giant red flags. Absolutely. Because once once the public has someone to blame, by gods, they will blame that person or thing. And blaming Don Iveson is a really easy thing to do. Anybody can do that. But to actually have thought about it enough to blame someone in administration is a totally other thing. The issue with administration as well, you can blame Don Iveson and you can just not vote for him next time. Right. There's no accountability mechanism for city administration. The accountability is our council, I guess. Yeah. They have to fire this city manager and pick a new one. Yeah. And they've chosen not to do that. So this is, this is something to watch, but you're not the only one that's having those conversations. If you want to send off the record conversations to Speaking municipally, man, will we take those emails and gossip with you? We will love to do just that. reach out by email. But that's all we have time for this week. <laughs> just kidding. We have time for an ad. Uh, this week, we're going to tell you about the City of Champions podcast. If you haven't checked that out, you really want to because Mac, you were a guest. I was very happy to speak with Shane. It was fun. And also, we mentioned previously that Taproot is sponsoring the upcoming season of Let's Find Out, hosted by Chris Chang and Phillips, the former historian laureate. There was a kickoff event in early February. Both Mac and I attended. It was a great show, and the audio is now available. Um, So you can just find that wherever podcasts are sold. Let's find out. And as always, you can head to albertapodcastnetwork.com to find out about all the various podcasts that we talk about and discover new ones. And... If you're on a kick and you want to rate and review some of these local Albertan podcasts, I looked on iTunes and I haven't been plugging uh, the ratings and reviews. We've gotten a lot of new ratings and reviews. Thank you, listeners. Um, Most of them five stars. There's a couple four stars. So what did we do wrong, guys? Come on. Don't answer that question. Just give us a five star review. That's all for this week. Uh, Next week, the show is going to be a bit delayed. Uh, Troy doesn't care about this podcast in any meaningful fashion, so he's going on vacation. We'll have the show out on Saturday, only a day late. While you're waiting, though, Max got a story for you. Our latest story written by Eliza Barlow is all about building an AI industry in Edmonton and the tension between funding for research and commercialization. It's a really good read, I think, about um, a very important 
topic that's come up. You know, the province recently announced a bunch of money uh, for artificial intelligence. So check that out at taprootedmonton.ca slash stories. So until next Saturday, I'll be skiing in Banff. And my name's Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.